Welcome to Sisflix, the podcast where we won't judge you for talking through the movie. Sisflix are the movies you laugh at, yearn for, and overanalyze with your girls, significant others, and now us. We are your hosts, Paola and Naja, two sisters and designers who discuss chick flicks we hate to love, tropes we love to hate, and all of the aesthetic choices in between. Join us as we break down our favorite movies together. Hey, sister. Hey, sister. What's, What's goody in the hoodie? Uh, <laughs> nah, you're not sorry. <laughs> we don't <laughs> We don't want to bring that that side of me out yet. What, goody in the hoodie? I, I, we ha- Yeah, I don't think I've said that on mic. You can take it out. Nah, I'm not taking it out. Chilling like a villain? Cooling like you fooling? So... As you guys can probably tell by the utter lack of structure, this is your next installment of Sisflix Hit Clips. Structure? When did we have structure? We've never had structure. I'm going to say something. Out in these parts, and I don't want to speak for my sister, but I have a feeling she'll agree with a lot of what I have to say. February no, is... No, is, I don't. So, fuck off. February 2024 came for violence exclusively, at least in my life, and it really fucked with our schedules. You know, unfortunately, this is something that is like definitely more of a hobby for us. And when things happen in our personal lives, we can't focus on it as much as we would like to. So, yeah, February just came to fight and it beat me up and I'm glad it's over. But we are happy that you're here with us (laughs) listening and tuning in and spending this time with us um, because this is a nice reprieve. It's been a month of uh, escapism through media, so can't wait to get into it. Can't wait to talk about it a little bit. And you know what? Why don't we start with the big thing? The big thing being the one movie we can't fucking stop talking about. Fucking one day. One day. The series was so good. We binge watched it in like not even like a day and a half. It was one night and the following afternoon we binge watched it. It's so good. I I loved it. The production value, it was so fucking high. The writing, obviously, because of how closely and how much of it was written by David Nichols himself. And the acting had like a very, very different flavor than the acting in the movie in a way that I thought was like poignant, relevant to our times, relevant to like our present day and, and the way that we're interpreting this piece of like, quote unquote, period media like today. The fact that the 90s is considered like a period now. Listen, dog. Is disrespectful. It is. And I refuse. This is a modern day film. You know, we have Nokia's today. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Don't age yourself. (laughs) Fucking jeez. My whole life is aging myself, (laughs) Nadja. So what were your favorite parts about, about One Day the Series in comparison to the movie? So, okay, again, the production value I really loved. I also loved that we got more detail taken from the book, right? Things that just had to be cut out, like, in the movie format because you only have so much time. Dexter, I think a combination of how he's written and how Leo Woodall, like, interpreted his character is, like, so much more... I don't want to say likable because it's not that you like his decisions. It's just that he's so much more. He's sensitive. He's more sensitive. He's more angsty. He's more introspective. Like he just seems generally more aware of himself than how we interpreted Dexter to be before. And you also see this like very painful need for approval from other people. 
that you didn't see in movie Dexter. You didn't see in movie Dexter and is so core to his character and the things that he does or does not do. And I loved that. All very quiet. I think Leo Woodall, he just seems a little bit more like reserved, a little less like out there. haha, big, cool guy. And I think that also translated to his interpretation of Dexter. He's also fucking high. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about that being likable. And you know what it is? He gives like sad baby boy. He does. You, you want to just hold them in your bosom. He has an unironic pout and a perpetual sleepy eyes. Yo, there is something about the perpetual sleepy eye. It suits him, yeah. With these big baby blues. But this man wore some shorts and grease, okay? And those calves, baby, he does not skip leg day, okay? <laughs> there was this one part, Nadja and I are watching. I think it was after he had the conversation with his mom in, like, Italy. He's walking away from like her hotel or walking up a set of stairs or something like that. And they just have this shot of him where they're filming him from behind as he's walking up these steps. Both Naja and I were like, oh, <laughs> uncoordinated at the same time because we're garbage. Both of their portrayals for the series had so much more depth than the movie. They were really emotional, really angsty and really emotional. I feel like they gripped you right from the beginning and you're like on this ride with them. I'm not going to lie. And I've talked to Paola about this, like as we were watching it, I struggled initially, like first couple of episodes to see the chemistry between Dexter and Emma, Leo Woodall and Ambika Mode. And I want to rewatch the miniseries because I've only watched it through like the one time. And it's short. Like, for those of you who may not have watched it yet, like, each episode is only about 20 and 30 minutes, and there are 14 episodes. So you could watch it in one very raccoon trash day. And I liked them individually because I felt like they portrayed aspects of the character that maybe you missed in the movie that you get more of in the book. But together, I was, like, a little confused. Like, I couldn't 100% see it. Like, okay, for example, when she is working at the Mexican restaurant and he comes and visits her. And then she meets up with him like at the park after, and she's like in a terrible mood and he's trying to cheer her up. There were bits where I was like, I don't understand why they stay in touch other than obviously they like each other. And like, that's more evident in the series than it is in the movie. They like each other as in like romantically, like they have crushes on each other, but I don't understand why you're friends. Cause it seems like you argue a lot. And then, like, you're angsty and sad about how much you like each other, and then you don't do anything about it. So I had a hard time finding that. But it kind of came together for me more, like, literally when their characters came together. Spoiler alert, apologies. But, like, when their characters finally get their shit together and, like, decide to have a relationship, like a romantic relationship, then I'm like, oh, they make sense to me. But before that, I was like, ah... (laughs) I don't really get it. There's a layer of the story where you're asking yourself that question, even when you've just read the book. That's true. So that element just is part of the story. Mm -hmm. Like if you guys, you know, if this is contentious, why are you guys still friends? And that question is asked in the series itself. Yes. I think they portrayed the characters in the book to the team. I disagree. I love their chemistry. Mm. And I think that that uncertainty that you feel is the uncertainty they're feeling. Mm. Right. Because they care for each other on a deep level, but they try to keep their friendship super surface. And that's the conflict throughout their whole journey. 
Um, so you're supposed to feel that discomfort. And I think that they play that very well. Mm-hmm. And also something that I love that the series tapped into more is how much he rides for Emma in that same scene that you're describing after she gets off her shift and she meets him at the park. They have this scene where they're laying right next to each other. She's literally laying on him and he's telling her all the great things about her. You're great. You're smart. You're so talented and you're beautiful. Like he's constantly like bringing her up and injecting the confidence in her that he feels she lacks. Mm. And in turn, she entertains like his bullshit that he's got going on. Right. In this phase of their friendship, she pretty much is there to like bring him down to reality whenever he's like head up in the air because things work out for him. Mm -hmm. And so she's constantly like just bringing him back down, you know, throwing pujas all the time. And I feel like he needs to be grounded. It's a little annoying, but he welcomes it. And I think he cherishes having an OG friend that can hold him down. You don't see this so much in the movie where he, like you mentioned, he's looking for approval Mm -hmm. from her. Oh, so what did you think of the show? Oh, so what did you think of this? Like he's constantly wants to impress her and for her to approve of him. And I also think you get a better sense in the miniseries of Dexter not suiting the level of inauthenticity he's performing as this like TV person. Like he likes to party and he likes the attention and like girls and stuff. But there is this level of discomfort with that that I think Leo Woodall kind of gives you in his performance that you don't really get from Jim Sturgis and his performance, which isn't, I'm not comparing them in terms of like good and bad. It's just pointing out differences in how they portray the same character where like Mm -hmm. Jim Sturgis, I think plays Dexter in this like big bombastic way. Like Dexter's this big personality and he loves the fame and he loves to party. And when it comes to a time in his life where he's not doing those things anymore, he's like, a little emptier and like unhappy and wishes he could kind of go back. And you get aspects of that in the book for sure. And then I think Leo Woodall is kind of like, Oh, parties are cool and fun and stuff. But like, does everybody like me? Are you mad at me? Like, (laughs) (laughs) there's this, there's this under, there's this undertone of anxiety that I think comes from also trying to live in this lifestyle. And he portrays that very well. That anxiety of like, am I doing the right thing? Is everybody approving of what I'm doing? Am I likable? Everything he's doing, he's doing to be likable in his environment. Yeah. To where he doesn't have a super clear idea of like who he is on his own. And like what that means. Obviously all of that kind of like clicks more into place when he's settled with Emma, they open the cafe because she's literally working with him to draw out. What are the things that you like? Oh, you like food and you're like good at it. Mm -hmm. You should open a cafe and like sell like export imported food or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. no one else has sat down with him and been like, what are the things that you like? And are you, you feel passionate about? Oh, you like food. Cool. It's like he gets these pieces of himself that he's never been able to like puzzle into an image from Emma. And she's like, here's what the image looks like. Here are these pieces I pulled out of the sky from the air around your head. And now we're going to put them together. What does that look like to you? Oh, I like food. I should open a cafe. Right. Well, there are so many of us who enjoy things, but we lack direction. And he always kind of lacked direction. He fit into a thing and then just, okay, this is just what I'm doing because here's where I'm accepted. People show me, you know, love and 
people are telling me I'm doing the right thing and that I'm a good host. So you ride with that. I don't think it's who he was. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'll backtrack because he did want to be fame, rich and famous. And actually, it did it did get him there. So he wanted to be rich and famous, but I don't think he understood or liked being rich and famous as much as he thought he would. I think he enjoyed the rich and famous as a theory. Mm-hmm. When he realized that this thing he idolized damaged his relationship with two of the most important people in his life, mm-hmm. that's when it started be- to become a conflict. And then eventually, you know, he he forgot to plan for the future. Yeah. Something else I loved about the series, and this is something we're pretty much always going to bring up because it's something that we look for and stands out to us. The diversity in the series was awesome. The casting, Tilly, I loved. Just as a person, I loved Tilly. And the addition of her character, they developed her past the book and they developed her past the movie. They decided to give Emma a best girlfriend. And I love that for Emma. And it did so much to round her out as an independent woman. It reduces her dependence on Dexter. Yeah. Tilly and Emma in the book are like mm, friend frenemies. Like they're kind of at odds. They're not always riding super hard for each other. Tilly and Emma in the series. Oh my God. Like everything. I would watch a series about Tilly. That actress, fan fantastic like i loved her energy so fucking good them being roommates and the and like emma being happy with her roommate situation in the book it's like her roommate situation is kind of miserable but in the series it's like no i'm living with my best friend in london kind of like being a, a ratty piece of shit because i have a shitty job that i don't like but like i'm doing it with one of my friends so emma in the movie i think like anne hathaway really leaned into her wit right it's like very bantery she's like kind of quick and like sharp tongued with her jokes and like little comments and stuff and I think the banter that she had with Jim Sturgis was was faster it was like more rapid fire I like that that's kind of how my uh conversations tend to go and so I resonated with that or that resonated with me rather in the show there's like so much angst between Emma and Dexter that it's like not like funny but the point is not to make them funny the point is like there's like many 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 feelings but Tilly brings out aspects of Emma's humor that you miss in her interactions with Dexter because they're both so like clouded by what they feel for each other at different times in their lives and Mm -hmm. so that was another way that I think Tilly's character was like chef's kiss like so good I missed the funny, you know, that that's just me though. That's like a personal qualm. That's not necessarily a qualm with the show. Overall, I'm a hundred percent like series over movie mm. all the way. The series gave me all the feelings the book gave me. Um, and I think broke down the characters to the T. Ambikamad is so freaking pretty. Has the most gorgeous eyes. Seriously. I loved seeing her as Emma on screen. I know you preferred Anne Hathaway's portrayal of Emma because it was less angsty. The characterization. Yeah. And this is a joke, Paul, and I have made, if you're, you know, a listener to our small catalog of other episodes, it's like, dog, where's your pride at? Right? Like, I'm like, we're out here acting like certified lover boys. No, 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 no. We're proud. We've got pride. What I mean by that is like when people are overly angsty in like movies and TV shows, it ignites like a little bit of my cringe factor because, and I'm not saying this is better or worse. This did not work out for me in many aspects of my life. But like when I had crushes on people like in school or friends I knew growing up or whatever, like 
my instinct was like, do not show them you have a crush on them. Th- those are state secrets. Totally like avoid the angst and instead lean into being silly, funny, cool. We're bros. We're friends. We're like nothing, nothing more, nothing to see here. I mean, I didn't get that from Ambika Mod's Emma. No, I'm saying from Anne Hathaway's Emma. And I related to that harder for me. Anne Hathaway was more pressed about Dexter than Ambika Mod gave off. Because Ambika Mods, she's more reserved the whole time. Yes. Right. Anytime you see her overly angst, it's her by herself, not with Dexter. What I'm saying is like the reason that I think Anne Hathaway's portrayal resonated more with me is because I saw pieces of myself in that. Mm-hmm. That made sense to me. Like with Ambika, I'm just like, I like what you're doing. I wouldn't do that. So like that's mm-hmm. and that, that's what I what I mean when I say it's just like me as a person, which clearly does not fucking matter to the portrayal of a character in a TV show. But Anne Hathaway, you know, was pulling shit, doing shit that I was like, oh, <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> so I guess the cringe factor, I get it more from Anne Hathaway's character than I do from Ambika's. Because where Ambika is more reserved and Hathaway's trying harder. Yes. Agree on that. And then the inverse of the feelings where the trying too hard to like seem really cool is like, oh, that's less cringy to you. Can I cringe at myself that much? (laughs) And then like Ambika just her emotions were kind of like much plainer to see, I feel. And that to me was the like... I do unfortunately resonate with Ian as a character sometimes. And that just, that's the cross that I have to bear in my life. (laughs) If you're not being funny, what are you being? Annoying is what (laughs) Ian was being. (laughs) (laughs) And I apologize to you all, everyone I've ever met, everyone I've ever known. Yeah, no, I definitely love their portrayal in the series. All right. I'm going to talk about some scenes that stuck out to me. Let's go. When they're on the cruise ship, right? When they're going on this cruise, there's this part where Dexter comes up to Emma and hands her a peeled orange. All right. So I don't know if you've been, if you've been on the TikToks. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like most of our listeners are like pretty close to our ages, which is like in somewhere in your thirties. So I'm close enough where I could be on TikTok, right? If I joined TikTok join like it's a club if i joined tiktok the way i would lose a grip on my life a a grip that is already tenuous at best so no i have not been on the tiktoks i allow instagram to tell me what's happening on tiktok three weeks after it's already happening there's been a trend recently where you hand your partner an orange orange or mandarina clementine clementine (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um Ask them to peel it for you. And if your partner peels it for you, it relates to like doing small acts of kindness for your partner. Pretty much just saying like when a partner takes an aspect of your life and like just makes it easier for you. Right. So the symbolism of him bringing her this already peeled orange communicates the realness of their friendship, the love he has for her. His presence provides something for her, whether it's comfort, love, acceptance, whatever it is, there's symbolism behind this scene. Symbolizing true love and shit. In the summer, my husband and I go through phases where we're like really, really into citrus. (laughs) 
so I'll buy like bags of oranges or like bags of clementines and like the fun thing about like ADHD is just horrific object permanence so if I can't see something I will literally forget that it exists obviously I don't mean this about like people and buildings but I mean this about like oh I bought a snack and I put it in a cupboard guess where that snack is gonna live for six months it's gonna live in that cupboard so the oranges we put them on top of the fridge (laughs) and I will fully forget they are up there until they're a disgusting moldy mess Ryan will be the one to remember, bring them down, peel them, and then sit with me on the couch and just pass oranges back and forth while we watch like horrible reality TV. So, because otherwise you wouldn't eat it. I would full and I buy it with 100% intention. I buy that shit with hope and love in my heart. Nope. Well, sounds like you've got a keeper according to the orange theory. Yeah, I've got something. (laughs) Another scene that wasn't part of the book and wasn't part of the movie is when they're in the water and he like offers for them to have a fling during this vacation because he has these feelings for her so he wants to maybe fool around and kind of temper these feelings with physical activity as opposed to having a relationship she pretty much tells him you want to just keep me on the back burner you want to just keep me liking you It's like it's a condition of the cosmos or something that I should always just be off to one side, twinkling away for you. This line about the cosmos is something that she says in Tilly's wedding speech, in her maid of honor speech. So that stuck in my brain. When she says this to him, he looks to her and he's like, I don't see it that way. But do you twinkle for me? He needs reassurance. He needs approval. He needs her to be like, of course I like you. Everyone likes you, Dexter. We all like you. We all talk about it when you're not there. Like, Right. But he knows he fucked that one up. They don't do the people stealing his clothes. No, they don't. And that is what breaks that tension yes. and makes it funny again. And right. And allows them to kind of like have a laugh about it and kind of fall into their rhythm again. They did without that in this scene and so the moment stays heavy essentially they go to bed mad at each other right yeah he's upset at himself i think of how that night turned out that's not what he was hoping he was hoping a bone yeah exactly i missed having the tension break the moment of levity yes but they just kept that moment heavy i think it also draws to what we were saying before about how the series just felt more sentimental, a bit heavier on the emotions than the movie. Angstier. Angstier, yes. I think it it wanted to continue to drive that point. Something we don't get that I was really hoping we get in the series is the letter. We don't get the letter. I know. We have a scene of him beginning to write her a letter. Yes. In the book where he loses the letter and she never gets to know how he feels when he's trying to invite her to India and all of that. We don't get that in this series. I was hoping we got that. Dude, let's talk about the maze scene. Oh, my God. Stop. Literally in the recording of our pod for the movie, I was like, I need this scene to be a whole episode. Listen, and they did that. It delivered. They delivered on that maze scene. It wasn't an entire episode. Tisk tisk. But I accept. Can I just, again, indulge me, please? Okay. The symbolism in the maze scene, how they're choosing to get lost together 
in this maze. How their whole story is about whining in and out of their lives, finding each other, losing each other, finding each other again. The maze to me is a symbol of their relationship. Dexter breaks the news about Sylvie and the baby. And they're at this moment where they find each other again. And at the same time, also losing each other in a different way. The symbolism was so beautiful and so fitting for what their relationship is going through in that scene. Mm -hmm. Again, they're finding each other as friends again, but they're losing each other in a different way. And Nadja and I are watching this and we're like, oh my God, are they going to kiss? And this is in the book. And this is something that they touch on in the movie as well. And they don't do a maze in the movie. The maze, they're so, it's, I'm really glad they stuck to that. It adds. This, it yeah. adds. But even in the movie, it was more of like a friendly pack. Mm-hmm. In this series, they portrayed this scene with so much longing. It gave me all the feels. It was all the feels. All the feels. I loved it. Also, if I were to do a, a cis drip on the series for Emma, it is for sure the dress that she's wearing at the wedding. It looks so good. It fit her like a glove, girl. She looked so good. And for him, it would probably be either the outfit he's wearing when they first meet, like, and they climb Arthur's seat and he's in, like, dress pants and a dress shirt (laughs) and, like, (gasps) fucking dress shoes. Or the outfit he's wearing at the very end when he climbs Arthur's seat again. Oh, his dad outfit? Yeah, because I think it's, like, very full circle. I think for me, there's two. There's the tan slacks when he's out with his mom. Fits him Great beautifully. Outfit. You're ridiculous. Great fit on those pants. Whoever tailored those, kudos. Okay. I am obsessed with Amigdalit. The way that she comes back into the apartment, finds him showering in the same way that she tried to peek at him showering when they were in the hotel and still friends. And then when she lets him know about how she contracted his fake tonsillitis, the way he repeats it back to her, amygdalit, the happiness and hope in this man's face, it's just, I am obsessed with his portrayal of Dexter. One thing I do that did tickle me, that like, I love how nonchalant she was when he was like, you know, we slept together. And she's like, and? And? I was like, yeah, we're about to talk about that. We're about to talk about that. They're a lot more obvious with he's out there to come get her. He's out there to pick up where they left off a couple of months before when they slept together. The way he says to her, I have not stopped thinking about it. It's all that I think about. I love the whole part where they're in Paris. I loved. I mean, like, he's so vulnerable. He's so, like barely keeping it together when he meets her boyfriend that he's just like I can't like I can't I cannot do this can I just say when we're watching the series (laughs) and this man is pouring his heart out to this woman you know at this point he's outwardly like let's give this a try I want to try this and she's very steadfast and no absolutely not I'm not just here whenever you're feeling sad I'm not your consolation prize quote unquote she very sallied his Harry. She sallied his Harry indeed. <laughs> I love that. He finds out that her boyfriend's coming so they can go have dinner. He's distressed. He is not in his element. He does not. 
He wanted to be there and not there at the same time. When Emma opens this door and this six, four, tall, dark, handsome man walks in through this door. I was like, ooh. <laughs> ooh, you're mad. You see Dexter's <laughs> face like fall apart. Ooh, you're so mad. You see Dexter be like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> are you joke? Are you joking, mate? Like you see him just fucking give up he uh, thought maybe he could do it and then he meets him and he fucking gives up the way i started cracking up <laughs> because it's like when i saw this i was like oh shit like out of all the people that could have walked through that door brutal that's not ian baby that's that that's a is Frenchman. not ian my guy no you know no something? no no can i just say one thing this isn't like a, a critique because i do think the real life aspects are more like apparent in the series right like how close this kind of thing could be to like a real life situation um they never have big kiss or what I would perceive to be big kiss. Like the, ooh, like you just fit together like a key in a lock. Like they never have that kiss to me. It's always like, there's always a touch, just a little fumble. And I, that is so real lifey. But at the same time, I'm like, Hollywood, I just want it to be no. perfect. They gave it to you at the end where you oh. have this all-encompassing kiss when they have their goodbye kiss of their first day they spent together yeah and then you see a reel of all the kisses you get to see them have uh. and then ending on that goosebumps 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 right now like it is so good it was so good all right so Last comments. Last comments on one day. Oh, man. I don't think I have last comments. My, my, my thoughts go on forever. Diversity. Diversity. Yes. I love the diversity in the series. It felt... if It just felt... Realistic. Realistic. Thank you. Like, you didn't feel like they put the one black friend. Like, it just felt like you're going to a school that's in a city that where people fucking live. <laughs> Honestly, it only stands out because it's always, it's always lacking everywhere else. It felt so nice to just see, like, with their friend group, with the Her people they date. Her friend group reminded me of my friend group. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so cute. Loved it. Loved it so much. We also, so we follow the author, David Nichols, on Instagram, and he's been like posting you know because they're getting tons of positive feedback. Like, people really, really are loving this show, and the book is climbing up like the charts again, I guess. Like people are buying the book again, which I'm like the envy that I feel for people that get to read that book for the first time again. <laughs> yes. I'm dying to have an original copy. It's, like the original with the cover, cover copy. Mm -hmm. I'm on the search. It's a great book. I mean, of course, we recommended it to the gods when we spoke about the movie. Can't recommend it enough. It's so, so good the show please watch it if you have any interest in the story any interest in the movie or the characters it's great it's a different it's like a slightly different take but it's more detailed it's so angsty there's so many emotions and while we're speaking on like books and stuff i just wanted to segue into like the next bit of our discussion now that we've i don't know talked one day to death 
we haven't. We're probably going to talk about it again. But one of my New Year's resolutions for 2024 was to become more of a book girly. Baona knows this because she's my sister and we grew up together. But I I love to read and I no. always... <laughs> we're not... We don't know each other. We're strangers. <laughs> I love to read and I always have loved to read. And it was one of my biggest hobbies when I was growing up. And college and having your first real jobs and like living in a city and your life having a little bit less structure will kind of take little things like that away from you. So I haven't been as big of a reader, honestly, since like I was maybe 19 or 20. So 2024, I was like, we're going to do it. I'm going to be a book girl. I'm going to get my library card and read my fucking little ebooks. Also, a big part of me reading again is Paola being my sister because we share lots of logins that allow me to read mm-hmm. her books. <laughs> well, we realized that if when we get ebooks, we can just share an account and then we each have the book on our phones, which is how I'm able to get through a book. I, I have a hard yes. time getting through physical books. I need to either have an ebook that I can read where everybody's sleeping <laughs> or an audio medium where I can do it while I'm cooking or or in the car driving around. Mm-hmm. I love having a physical book. I love having a physical book. And at one point, I was just like, I'm not getting through the books. They need to be more accessible for me. Like, I had this phase where I'm like, no, no I'm not doing ebooks. I'm not doing audiobooks. That's not reading. No, bitch, it's reading, okay? Also, one thing we're not going to do in 2024 is gatekeep shit. Or yeah. invalidate shit. Or gatekeep ourselves, right? Like, that's a form of self-gatekeeping. Literally. Like, why? Also, like, hacking ADHD is, like, one of my fucking life goals. Like, what's a way that I yeah. can take my neurodivergence and make life easier to me? Is it listening to books instead of sitting down and physically reading them? Great. Because I consume the same fucking book. Yeah. My hack is I need the book in the physical form, in an ebook, and in an audiobook. Publishers love Paola. <laughs> That's how I'm going to get through it because I'm available mentally in different ways at different times of the day. Yeah, fuck that. I'm not going to feel guilty about that. I'm going to consume stories however I'm able to consume stories because that's what it's about. Yeah, and fucking accessibility matters. And this is exactly what you said. This makes it more accessible to you. Like I'm doing like a library app where I can read ebooks, right? That is the best thing that's happened to me. Oh, it's the fucking bees knees. It's for libraries to have the apps where you can get their ebooks and you're still supporting your library. It's so (laughs) fucking dope. And I live in a big city, so New York Public Library has tons and tons and tons of fucking titles available and shit in different formats. So I've read one day, obviously, to prepare for the episode that we recorded on it. Just finished, actually, The Virgin Suicides. That's a reread. I read Virgin Mm. Suicides many, 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 many times as a teenager growing up, to be perfectly honest with you, before I could really process the symbolism of that book and like what it meant. So Virgin Suicides is also a movie. I've seen that movie only one time when I was in college. It's a Sofia Coppola movie. It's like very much vibes driven. But the book itself is like stunning. So fucking well written. I cannot believe that's what I was reading before I knew how to like parse that language or like understand what was happening. But it's so fucking good. It like made me angry. That would be an interesting movie to do, Paola, if I get you to read the book as well, because the book is so good. I read the book as a teenager. I haven't read it as an adult with an adult brain. You totally should. And I remember feeling Mm -hmm. very disappointed by the movie when I did finally get around to seeing it. I have also been reading like 
so much fanfic that's not weird for me though that's like been that's a consistent part of my life for the past like five years i just read a fuck ton of fanfic um, five years you were sending me fanfic oh my god in college had, oh my god because we had <laughs> okay it's been a decade the worst like hyperfixation phase on divergent hunger games phase like in the what hunger games, hunger games i stand behind that that hyperfixation has never gone away. Divergent, those books are absolute <laughs> ass and the movies are fucking worse. I watched them all. Don't don't come for me. I mean the some of the fanfic was better than the book. Absolutely. So, okay. Some of the fanfic was better. <laughs> Jesus. I would I bet I could find Divergent fanfic today that is better than those books. Oh my god. I also read audiobook Purple Hearts. <laughs> oh, tell me. Okay, 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 okay. Tell me what you thought about the book. So the <laughs> yes. book is a real six out of 10 situation. It's a lowercase F fine period. It's just fine. Yes. That's the exact same uh, feeling I got from the, it is just fine. Yeah. Like it was, I was it like, oh cool. It passed the time. Yeah. I listened to this as I was walking home from work. Like, cool. I definitely like the characters portrayal more in the book than in the show, in the movie. I agree. Yes. They make more sense even as a couple in the book than they do in the movie. Yeah. The movie did this thing where they added a bunch of like political context that that was not was, in the book was, and didn't need to be part of it. Was very just of a time. 2016. Like it will <laughs> and that's it. That movie's not going to age well because they decided to Like, doesn't he say some shit like that? It's just the, it didn't need all that. By adding the jargon of this very specific year, you aged the movie and it's, it made it unlikable for that reason. The only thing that makes that movie worth watching is Nicholas Galatine and Sophia Carson. They're both pretty good in it. They do what they can because that script was not giving. They're a sweet couple. They are a sweet couple. They're very cute Mm -hmm. together. The thing that I will say, Netflix movies, I'm talking especially like the little rom-coms that Netflix will sometimes do. Most of them are geared towards like a young adult, older teen audience. Those have such an insanely high production value that you're like, they injected all of the money into like cameras angles the direction the color correction the production design and then you get to the script and that is thinner than a piece of paper baby the scripts <laughs> are absolute booty and i like respect it in a way because i feel like netflix is fully aware of the fact that like <laughs> that they can bastardize all of the language make it super uninteresting but as long as it's nice to look at people will watch it true right like and i i sometimes shit on original content from like other streamers because i just feel like netflix has the the production quality it they got the money yeah it like yes. i'm like if rwrb was made from netflix they would have gotten money 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 to make it they could have done so much more marketing for that and the fact that it was still popular in spite wow well you got the books you had the fandom behind it oh and you have those two gorgeous babes leading that cast okay i love how it's cool for you to thirst over taylor zakarpa resident nicholas galaxy anytime i talk about any other male character it's like oh that's so funny paula it's because it's an objective truth oh yeah sure sure everything else is subjective no i'm joking it's it's only in the context of that movie because it makes me so 13 year old blushing kicking my little feet like that's why we're here giggling that's what i <laughs> that's what i do someone brings up rwrb and it's instant it's the pink in my face okay anyway You're so funny um i read persuasion which i had never read before uh, as an I audiobook persuasion. read that one and it was fucking great 
It was great. I'm half agony, half hope. Oof. It was really, really good. Ooh, that is such a great book. Yeah. And Netflix really <laughs> cooked it up. Cook it with, up. With the latest adaptation. Oh, yeah. With, listen, I like Dakota Johnson. As I did it. Anne. Yes. I don't like that they tried to modernize it and completely took away the beauty of the language the beauty of the le- <laughs> coño <laughs> oh was like, Paula, you know why? i couldn't even finish it you know i never don't finish a movie and i could not fucking finish it i might try again but i couldn't and i'm like why why couldn't you just keep the beauty of that dialogue the way it was written why'd you have to make it cheap like what the purpose of that would be like, oh, bring it to a younger generation or like, you know, make it more relatable. You didn't need to do that. You don't need to do that with Pride and Prejudice. You don't need to do that with Bridgerton. You don't need to do that. People will enjoy it and they will understand it and they will be better for receiving it the way that it was written. It grinds my gears. And it was beautifully shot, beautifully shot. The casting, they did a beautifully diverse cast it could have been wonderful. And they fucked it up. Trying to modernize the language. Ridiculous. Speaking of things that were nice to look at, I watched Priscilla um, in January. Ooh. That's another Sofia Coppola movie. So the joke that my friend made when we were talking about it was like, oh, so it was all vibes. It was like no substance <laughs> and all vibes. <laughs> And like, I don't know, I don't know too much. I'm not a film person. Like I'm not like a a fucking Tarantino Scorsese. No, I'm not a film person. So I don't know that much about Sofia Coppola, her, her oeuvre as a director, but I do know I was very disappointed by the Virgin Suicides when I saw it. And Priscilla was fine. Capital F period. Fine. It was like the soundtrack was very good. You keep kind of expecting a bigger thing to happen but it's it's not that kind of story because it's somebody's life and Jacob Elordi's Elvis wow he was honestly fucking great he was my favorite part of that movie and his delivery his voice aside from the fact that that man is 10 and a half feet tall like he did it so well if you're gonna watch Priscilla watch it for his performance he was fucking great Okay, but how about Priscilla? Like, that's who the movie was about. Dude, it was like watching Wallpaper. Oh, no. Not because of the, and not because of the actress. I genuinely think, like, Priscilla was written to be, like, super duper meek. You know, doesn't talk that much. She's, like, really quiet. I think it's supposed to show you, as the viewer, how much Elvis overtook her life. And overtook her personality. Because she met him when she was a child, and how she didn't have a good understanding Goodness. of who she was until they broke up. And you read that in the movie. Genuinely, you do. So I don't I don't think it's the actress. And I think there was like a method to that madness. But I, I didn't like the whole movie wasn't for me. But Got it. if you're going to watch it, watch it for Jacob Elordi. Oh, he was great. Um, Ooh. And then let's see. In my ebook TBR is The Talented Mr. Ripley by Patricia Highsmith. So oh, goodness. I've seen The Talented Mr. Ripley movie and I really, really enjoyed it without the context of reading the book. I've heard the book is so, so much better. So I'm excited to read that. My other book on the ebook TBR is The Idea of You. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Well, I haven't done this in a very long time. And every time I do this, I'm disappointed. So I'm going to try it again. Maybe it'll work this time. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know what they say, the definition of sanity <laughs> is doing the same thing over and over, hoping for a different result, totally. 
where I'm going to read the book before the movie comes out. Every time I do it, do I'm it disappointed. Me. But I'm going to give it a try this time. Let's see how it goes. And all of your wonderfully deep and diverse reading brings me to what I just read. Let's go. <laughs> I just reread Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to say, I've only read the first four of the Bridgerton sibling books. This one is my favorite. A lot of people don't like it because it's like the most sano. Honestly, to me, it's the least problematic of the Bridgerton stories I've read so far. You know, there's consent everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like kind of like on an even playing field. There's no dynamic to power. There's no there's no power imbalance situations or deceit. It is literally a friends to lovers. And it makes me so happy. And the new trailers or all the new teasers we're getting for Bridgerton. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Man, why did they make Colin shave? Because this man recently, whenever you see him in press and whenever you see him in a recent photo shoot. He's got a little five o'clock shadow looking chiseled. glow up. The Shondaland glow up is there. He's got this nice shaped up little five o'clock shadow going on that makes him look scrumptious. Why? Not scrumptious. (laughs) Why are they not doing this for the series? In the series, he still has this baby phase. And I can't. I'm not seeing the sexual tension yet for the show. So I don't know. The baby face isn't giving it to me. He was so never my we're guy. We're going to have to wait. And I mean, I don't think he was really anyone's guy. I think we're we're mostly behind him Penelope's for guy. Penelope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're mostly behind him for Penelope. We want to see Penelope get her story and get her love story. I, I don't think we're we're rallying behind Colin. And even the representation for the Curvy Girls, I'm excited for that. And seeing the love play out on screen, mostly from Penelope's perspective and kind of like the yearning that comes with the friends to lovers. But I was I was really I had my hopes high because I know what the Shondaland glow up does. And we're seeing it for Penelope. I'm not seeing it so much for Colin, but it's there, though, because I see it outside of the teasers for Bridgerton. So I'm hoping maybe it's like a maybe it's going to catch us by surprise. <laughs> also, I love how you're like you're deep reading. I just reread Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. <laughs> Can I just so okay personally I've I've also only read the first four Bridgerton books and personally my favorite is Benedict's which is an offer from a gentleman even though that one does have like fucked up power dynamic stuff there's that I don't power like dynamics there and he's trying to coax her into an affair like there's but there's like this element of magical realism to that book that I really like it, there is well it feels like a fairy tale it feels like it's tiptoeing good writing you know um Oh, shit. Not good writing. The other Bridgerton books, girl. But that's not why we read them. (laughs) Yeah, that is not why we read them. No. No, That's why we read The Virgin Suicides. It's not why we read The Bridgerton books. I'm like, I'm so excited. I'm so, so, so excited for Bridgerton. Speaking of Bridgerton, did you see Jonathan Bailey in Wicked? In the Wicked? You know, I haven't um, seen the Wicked trailer. I'm really behind. Oh, I'm very excited. I'll go watch it with you. They look phenomenal. They look amazing. God, the amount of money they must have spent Cynthia making that er- fucking movie. Imagine there. 
you can tell, yeah, that they put some money in there. I mean, you got Cynthia Revo, you got Ariana, you, I mean. Ariana's boyfriend. Oh, you know what else we rewatched, friends? Cinderella. <laughs> oh, the Amazon Prime version. <laughs> oh, no. We, sure, and Bala, we like, watched that one for the kids. the kids. No, it wasn't. We watched that for the kids. That's a lie. Oh, I've been getting because what we watch. wanted to watch was red, white, and royal blue. Oh yeah, no, we but couldn't do that. My kids were around, and they were. It was I was up doing hair, and so we put on Cinderella. I mean, and it's it's fun. It's, fine. it's a fun watch. It's <laughs> our next sister weekend. Our next sis. Our next sis weekend is going to be the color purple. All of us strangers, like. I'm sure there's a couple more in there that, oh, we never watched Faux. Oh, we, that's there's true. just. You said Faux and I thought Vietnamese soup, but you mean the movie and I'm. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know something, dude? Oh, we watched After Sun and Paula was medium on it. My mistake was going into After Sun with expectations. Fair. So on a surface level, once I understood what the movie was trying to tell me, then I was like, oh, okay. Okay, I, now I see. So I was waiting for something to happen in After Sun. And that sounds negative. <laughs> no, no, I get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, was waving, I was waiting for like a big climactic moment. I was waiting for a build. And like I kept waiting on that based on reading the synopsis. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, After Sun is a interpretation of a little girl and her father who went on vacation. And you see this vacation through the little girl's perspective. Mm-hmm. Everything you're seeing is at the understanding of a maybe 10 year old, right? 10 or 11, I think. Yeah. So you only come to understand things at a very surface level. And then it's uh, it's up to you to kind of figure out the depth of what's happening or like, you know, what what, you know, where she might have a question for her father and her father's going to answer the way you would to a 10 or an 11 year old. And you as an adult have to kind of interpret maybe what's going on behind this answer. Right. You have to read between the lines. So once I understood that, I realized that it's a beautiful movie. And heartbreaking. And it's just a little girl trying to kind of figure out her dad. I was afraid that I had shown Paola a bad movie. Because immediately after, she was just like, what? Which I understand. The The way that I describe After Sun is like, it's a movie for people with father wounds. I didn't lose my dad as a kid, but I feel a lot of those feelings very much. Did you see the, the Amy Winehouse trailer? I saw like part of it in it. I mean, the budget looks higher than I thought it was, so that's good. I thought it was giving Hallmark movie when I saw, like, the pictures, the behind-the-scenes pictures that they leaked, like, last year. Mm-hmm. The girl they casted, Marissa Bella, like, I'm from the trailer. I am not getting Amy Winehouse, but, <laughs> like, I'm not getting Amy Winehouse at all. Yeah. Her portrayal, like, I am not getting Amy Winehouse. <laughs> I just... <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't... I. It looks like it's going to be a bad movie. I know. But I might just be being judgy. Um, you wanted to talk about some podcasts. I see you listen to some podcasts here. Oh, yeah. I mean, these are just the podcasts that I, like, generally listen to. I've been listening to more movie podcasts and, like, stuff that's just not news related. I've just been really, really mad. So, like, I've been listening to a lot of Ruined, 
I feel like if people enjoy us talking, Ruined is also quite a bit shorter. So each episode is really only about an hour or between an hour, hour and a half. And it's only one of the hosts telling the story. The other one is reacting. But I listen to Ruined because I refuse to watch horror movies. It's so fucking funny. They're both like comedians. So they're funny as hell. I like Ruins. I listen because I, too, don't like watching horror movies, but <laughs> sometimes they become, like, such a part of pop culture, right? Certain references and things like that. I, but I'm not going to watch it just to be <laughs> on top of shit. So I listen to the Ruin podcast, and uh, they help me get the references. So. <laughs> they do. They do. They're really, really funny. Because at first I started listening to just, like, movies that I had been interested in and hadn't seen. And then I was like... I'll just listen to every episode they do because they're all funny. Like, even if I don't care about the movie that much, I'll learn about it as they talk about it. They're all very, very funny. And they mm-hmm, release weekly. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Wait, you know what I did want to mention? I saw the Mean Girls movie. <laughs> oh, how was that? Not I mean, good. <laughs> I was never a Mean Girls girl. Like, I know that that's like a big part of like our generation coming up. A lot of people. But I, I mean, I saw it and it was funny. It didn't become part of, like, my personality. I didn't quote it all the time. <laughs> it didn't become part of my personality. Yeah, no. White high school oh. experience is not for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I don't. I struggle with white coming-of-age movies. I can't identify with them very much. Yeah, that's something that Bonna and I differ on. I really love white coming-of-age movies. Like, I love, I love John Hughes movies, but then I also love kind of these 2000s coming-of-age movies, and... Just because they came out when I was like a preteen and Mean Girls came out, I think, when I was 10. So they just became part of the cultural vernacular, like growing up. And Paola has always just been kind of like, I love that for you. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I enjoy the movies. They're funny. I, I didn't adapt it like most of my generation did. Yeah. The So the movie is a musical it's based on the broadway musical that was based on the movie that was based on a different book so it's a real clusterfuck of like source material (laughs) and the movie was just not good i mean some of the cast was really cool like renee rap she has an independent music career so she's like already for the gen z's she's like shooting up she's very very talented and She's really funny to watch in interviews because she just says shit. Like, she's not polished in interviews at all, which people really like about her. But everybody else, I was just kind of like, meh. Like, okay. Y el, el galán of the Gen Z's, the one who's playing, like, the boyfriend in this movie. <laughs> no. You didn't like him? No, 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 no. I mean, I was very, I was excited for everyone in the cast because they got a lot of hype. Yeah. Janice Ian was the best one. Janice Ian and Regina George and the two actresses that played them. So Regina George was played by Renee Rapp and Janice Ian was played by Auli Cravalho, the girl that voiced Moana. Yeah, so I was excited for everybody in the cast. I mean, it seemed to feel a lot more inclusive than the original movie did. So mm-hmm. that that seemed exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it wasn't the movie I was going to go see in the theaters. Like when it comes out on streaming for free, I'll definitely like give it a watch for funsies. I will say, though, the soundtrack was really good. All right, so something else that happened. One of the awesomest friends of the pod created a stitch sampler of one of our favorite quotes from our Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes episode. If you guys were here for that, when we talk about um, Tom Blythe, Najas newest internet boyfriend, um, when we say um, the man's a walking red flag, but red is my favorite color. So... 
our friend Marumi Crafts took this quote and did this stitch sampler for you guys. You can download it at her Etsy shop. We will have the link in our episode description. She is a very talented stitch artist and pattern designer. So check her out. Look at her stuff. Also, if you responded to our survey back in December and January and you left your information, you should have received your little toddler podcast goodies by now. Those little goodies will be available for all of our listeners soon. We will keep you guys posted. We designed a little bookmark. We designed some stickers. And if anyone was a big fan of the stickers, post a picture in your story of where you put the sticker, if you liked it, if you used it, or if you're using the bookmark to read your latest Sysflick book. We'd love to see how you guys are making use of that stuff. And we'd love to repost it to our stories if you're so inclined. Thank you for spending some of February with us. And we hope you've enjoyed our episodes on one day and our episode on Bell and hopefully learned a little bit of black history with that episode. And we hope you've taken the opportunity this Black History Month to consume and highlight some black media and stories. This March, we're looking forward to Women's History Month. We will be bringing to you a recap of past lives, little women. At the end of March, we'll be jumping into Springerton, where we will be recapping seasons one and two of Bridgerton in preparation for season three coming in May. So those are the things we're looking forward to in March. Thank you so much for joining us for this Sis Flicks Hit Clips. Thanks, everyone. Um, You know the drill. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, please leave a review anywhere you get your podcast. Please leave a five-star rating. Those really perk up our day. Come and find us on Instagram at SysFlixPodcast. Shoot us an email at SysFlixPodcast at Gmail and let us know what you think, if you have suggestions for a movie for us to cover in the future. Thanks, everyone. See you, depending on when you listen to this, in a few days, in a few weeks, or next month. Thank you.